The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You're listening to Making Life Brighter on the Health and Wellness Channel where we provide you with the latest information in healing, consciousness training, and all cutting-edge healing modalities, featuring experts in their fields, including authors, musicians, and artists. Making Life Brighter will be a forum for healing, inspiring, and uplifting entertainment. Here is your host, Winifred Adams. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio, and I'm your host, Winifred Adams. Today, I welcome you all because we have a very special guest. We have... Paula J. Kaplan, and Paula is a actual um, PhD. She's she's a doctor of psychology, and she does clinical research in psychology. Has written a number of books, and is a very special and poignant project on her plate right now, which is the focus of our discussion today. Welcome, Paula. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. This is wonderful, and it's wonderful to have you here. Thank you. Thanks. So tell us a little bit about this project that you've embarked on. You've written a variety of books. You've done research for years. You've been on all sorts of boards. You've been represented at different universities, including Harvard. And, you know, you're, you're a spearhead for all sorts of different clinical research. Tell us what this is. Well, what happened was that uh, my late father was a captain of an all-black artillery battery in World War II. They, they fought in the Battle of the Bulge. And um, I was very close to him, and he was a wonderful storyteller. And I was very perplexed about myself because every year when it was December, which was the anniversary of the Battle of the Bulge, he would start saying, you know, 18 years ago tonight or however long ago it was, and he'd start telling these stories that I'd heard every year. And then each year I would, I would think to myself, oh, my gosh, how come if you had asked me five minutes ago to tell you these stories that, that he tells every year, I wouldn't have been able to remember them. And I, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I have a good memory, and he's a mm-hmm. great storyteller. And um, because I finally came to understand why I hadn't really registered those stories, um, uh, that was what led me partly down the path um, to listening to veterans, which is sort of at the the bottom of this whole project that I've that I've been doing, uh, that has several different parts to it. Um, but the way that I finally came to understand why I couldn't remember his stories was that one year I was in my forties. I'm 68 now, and. Um, a friend of mine videotaped my father telling those same stories, and she gave me a copy. And I went, and I sat in my room. I was alone and put the tape on, and I started watching. And I thought, oh, yeah, these are the stories that he always told. And then he went on and on. And all of a sudden, I heard him say the words that he must have said every year. But this time it really broke through. He said, I was a forward observer, and I had to turn off the machine I was weeping 
because I knew that a forward observer is the person who goes out closest to the enemy to see where they are. And I realized that all those years I just hadn't been able to bear thinking of my father in such danger. And so I would just block his stories out. And I thought, oh, my goodness, if I do that, I wonder if that's happened to other people, too. <laughs> and it, it has turned out over the years as I started listening to other veterans and listening to how non-veterans talk about veterans, um, that there is this huge divide in this country between veterans and the rest of us. And veterans uh, really just make up about 7% of the population in the United States, and only about 1% of Americans have, have ever served in combat. So what I say is that the rest of the population is pretty much war illiterate or even military illiterate. Most of us, we may think we know what it's like to be in the military or to go to war, but we really don't know much at all. And I think this is a very dangerous um, divide and, and disconnection. Why? Why is it a dangerous divide? Why is it dangerous? Yeah. Well, because, first of all, I think it's unhealthy to have um, any group of people so isolated from the experience of others. And whatever, whatever our politics and whatever the veterans' politics, they may be very different from each other. The fact is that they are citizens of this country. They are serving in our name. And as long as we don't consider it a civic responsibility to listen to what they go through, both when they're in the service and then trying to come home, which can be just a massive culture shock, um, we end up leaving them isolated and keeping ourselves unaware of what's going on in huge, um, uh, hugely important part of our population. It, that isolation is one of the major reasons that there's such a high rate of suicide among veterans. The figure that everybody uh, throws around these days is 22 veterans kill themselves every day. And people are shocked when they hear that. And it is That's shocking. a high number. That's a very but, high number. But do, do you know what I learned recently? That number is based on, I think it's 40% of the state. Now, Paula, let me ask you, would you say that some of that is because the veterans can't speak? You know, many people who go over to war and come back, I know I've worked with many of them, they they really are so dedicated and loyal to what they've signed into. And without that job description, they come back and they can't possibly even describe it. They can't talk. Yes. That it, well, first of all, yes, some of, some of what people experience in the military and, and at war, um, it's very hard to try to convey in words. But um, it's very important for us to make it as safe as possible for them to speak. So I've been doing this work with veterans and non-veterans for almost 15 years now. And what I've learned is that each group has negative stereotypes about the other group. So veterans often are concerned that uh, non-veterans can't possibly uh, listen with respect to them, especially if they think their politics are different. Um, they are afraid that uh, they are going to be considered 
crazy, mentally ill, if they talk about what they're going through as a result of their experiences in the military and then trying to make this major adjustment in trying to come home, often the veterans have been told that they're mentally ill. You know, instead of saying we have this very psychiatrized country. So when somebody's been at war and traumatized by that, or if they were sexually assaulted in the military, which is very common too, um, or there are other, there can be other awful experiences in the military. Um, and when that happens and the person is suffering or anguished, well, everybody races to say, oh, it's a mental illness, as though every suffering, um, every type of suffering must be a mental illness. And so a lot of veterans are thinking, you know, the things I've been through and the fact that I can't sleep many nights and that I hit the ground when a truck backfires, they're either thinking that they're crazy or they've been told that they are mentally ill. And so there's a lot of fear that, that some veterans have um, that's totally understandable. If I, if I try and talk to somebody who hasn't been through it, they're going to think I'm. They're going to think I'm mentally ill. They're going to judge me, um, and then I hear, I hear non-veterans with all sorts of negative stereotypes about veterans that they'll they'll say, well, you know, they're all mentally ill. I've had people say to me, I I know that a lot of veterans are suffering, and I'd like to do something to help, but they're mentally ill, you know, and I'm not a therapist. And some some of the non-veterans, frankly, are wanting to help, but they genuinely believe that there's absolutely no reason to go near a veteran because unless you're a therapist, there's absolutely nothing you can do. And other non-veterans, I think, are, are just as glad not to have to make the effort because they don't want to think about it. It reminds them of war. It reminds them of unpleasant things. And what we're finding is that uh, I, I created the Welcome Johnny and Jane Home Project because um, because of this divide, what what Colonel David Sutherland calls the epidemic of disconnection between veterans and non-veterans. And and I want to I'll tell you briefly what the project consists of. But first, I would just want to say how I got to it, which was that. For other reasons, I got interested in veterans in addition to my experience with my father. And, and I started just listening because, you know, as you said in the introduction, I'm, I'm a psychologist. I do research and I'm a, I used to do clinical work as well. And, and I know that um, if you want to learn about a field that hasn't been studied very much, uh, you, you shouldn't go in with preconceived notions and, and a battery of, of tests and a list of questions that you've chosen ahead of time. You go in and first you just listen because you need to know what do the people that you want to understand or you want to try to, to um, be of some assistance to, um, what do they feel is important? How do they describe their experiences and what's helpful to them and what's harmful to them? So I would get together with a vet. And I would just listen. I mean, literally not do an interview, not ask a question, not even ask them to define a military term, and not even give what I thought might be a compliment. Because I, I realized very quickly I might want to say, that was really brave of you. You saved two of your buddies. And what they're feeling is it was horrible. I only saved two, not all five. And if I jump in and say, that was really brave, that is so far from what the veteran is experiencing in telling me about that. 
um, that I'm just going to get in their way. I'm just going to shut them up um, if I interfere. So I would just listen, sometimes for an hour and a half, sometimes for as much as three hours. I would I would let the veteran um, tell me when they wanted to stop. And in doing that, I would get an email the next day saying, for example, uh, I last night I slept for the first time since I got back from Vietnam. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's it, brilliant. It was amazing. And it just, yeah, it just sort of took my breath away. And then, and then I thought to myself, now, isn't it sort of poignant that that surprises me? That uh, why should we be surprised by, by the power of listening? Um, because it, it can be the most important thing that we can do. And so because I would get those kinds of, of responses, I started thinking, well, you know, we should do more of this. And, and also, I wanted to make sure that we did it in a, in a way that was um, clear to the veteran. This is not therapy. Your listener is not a therapist. They're not going to be sitting there in the room to figure out how to diagnose you and how to medicate you um, and how, how you're weird and different from the rest of us. Um, they're going to be just listening with respect as a member of the community to bear witness. And so what we did was um, we started this Welcome Johnny and Jane Home Project, which is very, very simple. It requires no training. There are just a few pages of an intro that people read on the website. And, um, and, and here's all that happens is that um, a veteran from any era, and they can be combat veteran or not, because let's face it, even if you love civilian life and then you go into the military and, and it's a wonderful experience for you. And then you come back to civilian life. Even so, you've gone through two major culture changes. And for many, it's a culture shock. Um, anyway, so what, what we do is we pair a veteran from any era with a non-veteran. And the session begins with a non-veteran speaking one sentence, and then maybe in the course of the listening they say a second sentence, and I'll, I'll tell you what those two are. But for the rest of the time, they just listen. So each of these two sentences um, I composed after years of listening to veterans and hearing from them what, what's helpful. So the session begins with the non-veteran saying, as an American, I take some responsibility for what you experienced in the military and trying to come home. And if you want to talk, I will listen for as long as you wish to speak. And I will not judge. That's and then wonderful. you really just listen, but you mm-hmm. listen with your whole heart. Well, that's a that's a skill, actually. Many people don't actually have that skill. They well, they aren't able to do that. They think they don't. I tell you, I you, you can you can probably tell already. I can talk a lot. Um, there are people who have come to me and said, "I'd love to be a listener, but I know I can't stay quiet that long." Um, and I've never had anybody read the few-page, you know, description of what you're supposed to do, which is about as simple as what I've just told you, except I, I want to tell you about the second sentence in a minute. I've, I've had nobody come to me afterward and say, I couldn't keep quiet. I just, I kept jumping in, it was, or it was driving me crazy, but I, I kept quiet. I've never had anybody say that, and, and I think it's really interesting to know why that is. It's because in, in our society, 
we're so used to being expected to respond verbally, and so a lot of us spend a lot of time worrying about, okay, when should I, when should I jump in, and what should I say, and how should I say it? But you see, the goal is for you to be silent and listen respectfully with 100% of your attention and your whole heart because your job as the listener is through that kind of silence to clear the path so that the veteran can say whatever they want to say. And the simplicity of that goal for the listener makes it so much easier than many people have dreamed it would be. Well, on that note, we have to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Paula J. Kaplan, and you can look her up at paulajkaplan.net. She has an extensive resume. She's been studying all over. She's been a part of everything. She's a playwright. She's an author and now a filmmaker. (laughs) And we'll be right back with more of Paula J. Kaplan. Stay tuned. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio. We'll be right back. My name is Blade Anthony, and I was a combat medic. And now I'm a veteran. When people say thank you for your service, it does mean a great deal. But if that can go one step further, if you can take the time to really listen to a veteran, just to listen and nothing else, you might very well save a life or change a hurting life forever. Thank you. Do you really want to help a veteran come home? The isolation is tough. Just lend an ear. Anyone can do it. Do more than just say thank you for your service. Listen. 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 Listen to a veteran. A public service from the Welcome Johnny and Jane Home Project, pairing a veteran from any era with a non-veteran who will simply listen with respect and with their whole heart. Listen to a veteran, please. Listen to veterans.org. When people say thank you for your service, it does mean a great deal. But if that can go one step further, if you can take the time to really listen to a veteran, just to listen and nothing else, you might very well save a life or change a hurting life forever. Thank you. Welcome back to Making Life Brighter with Winifred Adams on the Health and Wellness Channel, the preferred choice for conscious education and entertainment. For more information, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. If you have questions or comments, please email us at radio at makinglifebrighter.com. That's radio at makinglifebrighter.com. And now, back to the show with your host, Winifred Adams. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio, and I'm your host, Winifred Adams. We have a very special guest today, Paula J. Kaplan, and you can find her on paulajkaplan.net. She is she has her M- MBA and her doctorate mm. from, is it MA? 
Yeah. It's not. It's not an MBA. I know nothing about business. Believe me. <laughs> so oh, it's an, your an, just an MA, <laughs> master's your degree. Your MA from Duke University, and you have been very active in a variety of activities over the years and programs, both in psychology and at different departments in different universities, Harvard being one of them, and people can look up that extensive resume, and it's really impressive, truly. <laughs> what, you, what you've done and what you've dedicated yourself to is amazing, Paula. And, you know, Paula's been seen on Oprah. She's been on Geraldo, the Today Show, just countless, countless magazines and other shows, and her work really stands for itself. So I encourage you to look up her website and familiarize yourself with her work because the project that she's speaking about today is very poignant about our veterans. And what she'd been saying in the previous uh, segment was all about listening and the art of listening and how valuable that is and what it can actually do for someone else. And so I just want to jump right back into that because, Paula, you're on a roll, and this is fantastic. Well, thank you. You're, you're so great, Winifred. Um, I want, what I wanted to say also about the listener uh, is that when you sit in a room with someone that you've never met before and your, your job is just to listen so completely, something, well, some of the veterans have said it's magical. Um, some of them have said it's powerful. Some of the veterans and some of the listeners have described the time as sacred. Even people who who aren't religious at all have just said there's something sacred about when you are, you get so connected in such an important, deep, rich way. With usually within the first few minutes, the listener can tell the effect that their silent, respectful listening is having on enabling the the veteran to speak. Often they'll speak about things they've never talked to anyone else about. And so the the fact that um, some some non-veterans go into this with um, a concern that, well, you know, I'm very left-wing and I don't know what it's going to be like to sit in a room with a veteran and what if they like their war and all of that stuff. What ends up happening is that the non-veteran hears a human story. And I swear to you, and this is some some of this is in this film that we've just made. Um, it it's really uh, very moving and very important to understand that even if your politics are different from the vets, that's not what matters. What matters is you are hearing about some very uh, very close to their heart experiences they've had. Some of them are wonderful. Some of them are horrific. And nobody should have to bear horrible memories alone. And many veterans are, for all sorts of reasons, reluctant to speak to the people closest to them about what they've experienced and why they still have nightmares or have insomnia or have flashbacks um, or get detached sometimes. But, you know, it's less dangerous to them to speak to somebody who is not part of their close social circle or their family because the, the risks are just not as great. Um, so you don't have all that baggage of what if I tell the, the people I live with what, what I've been through and what if they don't understand? How can I, how can I possibly even go on 
being now, with them. Paula, what you're speaking of is actually not just applicable to veterans. It's applicable right. to anyone who's experienced yes. trauma or has yes. a concern, right? Yes, yes. And if I can just tell you, it's the, one of the most lovely, important stories I ever heard, there was a man named, uh, there is a man named Robert Dove who uh, used to work with the Quakers on the GI rights hotline. And um, when uh, people would go AWOL um, and then they were scared of getting arrested and thrown in military prison, sometimes they would, in the middle of the night, find the GI rights hotline and they would, they would call. And Robert would answer the phone. And he said, one night, this young man called him, and he was talking about some upsetting things he'd been through. And Robert, and this was on the phone, so, you know, when it's total silence on the phone and you can't make eye contact and show that you're listening, um, it can be riskier than what we do, which is in person or on Skype. But this was on the phone, and Robert said all he was doing was listening, and this young man was talking about what he'd been through. And the young man started to cry, just sobbing. And Robert spoke, and he said, well, I understand why you're crying after what you've been through. And this young man said, I'm not crying because of what I've been through. I'm crying because somebody is listening. Wow, that's powerful. Yes, and you know, how many people are there who have that kind of life in which they, they, it would mean everything just to have someone listen. My father used to have a, a sign-up in his, in his office that said, be kind because everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. So I'm so <laughs> glad you mentioned that, Winifred, because, yes, it definitely applies to other people. And one reason I focus on veterans has to do with how I got into doing this, but, but also... I think that, um, look, my, if you Google me, you'll see where my politics are. They're very far left. So people are always saying to me, well, how come you want to work with veterans? Because, you know, they, they all enlisted so they could go kill people. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's not um, what I hear when I listen to them. I hear that many of them enlisted because they needed money for college or because they couldn't get a good job or because they wanted to see the world. Or a lot of women feel that in the military they will be respected in a way that women aren't respected in lots of other workplaces. And so when they go into the military, if they're one of the one in three or one in four women in the military who get sexually assaulted, it's absolutely devastating. So when you hear the human stories of veterans that you had stereotypes about, even if you walk away thinking, well, you know, I don't think the Iraq War was right, and they think that they did the right thing, that that ends up not mattering as much as the integrity and the honesty with which these veterans speak. That's what makes it such a sacred kind of, of experience for, for the listener, because the politics come not to matter. Um, and, and what matters is that they're speaking the truth. Somebody is listening to the truth. The person who, again, whatever your politics, as the listener, you are becoming less illiterate about the military. And if the veteran you're listening to has been at war, you're learning from somebody who was there about what war was like. And um, very often um, that the, there's a, uh, something 
very important that happens to the listener. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what a typical listener will say. They'll say, "Well, you know, I decided to do this as a a good deed for a veteran." Um, and, and I was kind of worried, what if, what if they say something that's so upsetting that I'm traumatized and I can't sleep? And then they invariably say, but you know what? What, what was overwhelmingly the effect of listening to this veteran was that they were often talking about matters literally of life and death and moral anguish. And so in listening to the veteran talk about that, they come to understand more about the veterans' humanity and therefore more about their own because mm-hmm. veterans have often confronted these matters in ways that the rest of us have never had to. So Absolutely. It's, it's, Absolutely. it's very moving. Yeah. So tell us about this film. What is it that the project is? It's um, Is anybody listening movie.org for anyone that wants to look it up? Is anybody listening movie.org? So tell us what that is. Well, um, I had been doing the Welcome Johnny and Jane Home Project on my own, and somebody would call me from, you know, they'd hear about it. By the way, the website for the project, the listening project, is listen, and then the number two, listen to veterans.org. Um, and you can read about it there and just learn how to do it and go do it. Um, and Great. contact me if you have any questions. But um, somebody would contact me from Austin say, and, and say, I, I'm, I'm a listener. Um, I want to listen to a vet. I, I don't know how to do it. Can you talk to me? And and or somebody would call from Des Moines and say, well, we'd love to have you come and talk to us. And they would assume I had money to pay my expenses and get there, that I was a, a well-funded project. Well, I'm not. I'm, I have no funding. And so, so someone who had been a listener a number of times um, just felt that, that this work was so important and said, and this was not somebody who has a lot of money, frankly, um, but they said, I want to give you some money to make a film so that if somebody can't bring you there to speak about this and educate people about what to do and reassure them about how simple it is to do, um, you, can, uh, you can have them watch the film. And I thought that was a great idea. And because of the incredible generosity of a number of veterans, including our editor, Rock Grant, who was just phenomenal, um, and the director, Mark Harris, who's an Emmy-winning director, and Emmy-winning composer, Patricia Lee Stoddard. I mean, we just, we just had wonderful people work with us. We had veterans in the film uh, speaking about their experiences. Um, and we have uh, we have a lot of archival footage, and we have still photographs, and and so in the film uh, we talk about what, what you and I have just been talking about um, about the the pathway to being interested in what happens between veterans and non-veterans, and how to bridge this divide. And so we made the film, and um, I just I, I haven't gotten a distributor yet because. I've been busy um, responding to requests to do screenings. We've, we've had them all over the country. It was shown um, in New York at the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. It's been shown uh, by veterans organizations and various state um, humanities councils and one in a private home um, and just all of the universities. Um, 
and I'm still getting requests for more today. So I've just been trying to keep up with that. And well, that's like good because that really helps you put it out there some more, and maybe somebody will distribute it in listening to this. You know, have you yeah. approached the larger companies? Have you approached, like, next week um, I'm going to have on the fella that was the lawyer for the the movie Woman in Gold, and, oh. you know, Miramax picks that up, and maybe one of those one of those companies has an offshoot for this type of thing where where it's part of their PR program to put out important information that is, you know, not just something that is a story, but really something we all can do to participate and to help, yeah. which is what you're teaching through this. Yes, and, and, and actually um, what we do is it's not kind of a didactic movie. Um, it's, um, it's told through stories, through, uh, partly through the story of, about my father and me and how there I was, a non-veteran growing up in the home of a veteran I adored, and there was this divide between us. You know, so, and that's so much the case in, in the rest of the country. So it's part, part, partly told through that and partly through hearing various veterans come on screen and talk about their experiences and then talk about what is it like for them when a non-veteran really just listens? How does it change their lives? I, I had one veteran, this isn't uh, in the film, although we're doing a recut of the film right now, and would love to talk to potential distributors. Um, I, I think it's going to be shown on a, a PBS affiliate in, around Veterans Day. Um, I don't have the contract yet, but I think, I think it's going to be. Um, we'll hold the focus. <laughs> pardon? We'll hold the focus. <laughs> yes. Um, but um, I, I think that um, uh, what, what's really been um, just stunning to me was this, that I, I hoped that when we would make the film, that just as, as we had thought at the beginning, that, well, this, this will be a film that, you know, we can, we can send it out there when people want to know about the listening project. Um, I, I hoped that people would say, oh, well, that was interesting. Oh, yeah, okay, I, yeah, I think I, I'll do that. Instead, if you go to that website for the film, you can see the trailer of it, um, and you can see the kinds of comments we're getting from veterans and from non-veterans. And some of the most moving ones are that many veterans have watched this film and then said, what's in this film is what I want the people who care about me to know. And it's what I want everybody in this country to know and to understand about my experience. And it's such a relief to to so many not to have to try to convey it, but just to, you know, bring somebody you care about to see the film. And then many non-veterans have said to me, this film humanized my um, my view of of veterans. So um, that's just been. Way that's a powerful statement, actually. You know that yeah. that really yeah. says a lot right there because we do think of them in another category. In a way, they are. They're they're a machine for a while, and then they come back and try and be a person again. And that's a very challenging challenging transition if it's ever accomplished all the way. It yeah, never- yeah, and and. And we don't help them. And and frankly, um, I when when veterans have said to me, "Oh, I'm doing fine, and so I don't need to have a session," I say, "Well, wait a minute. 
um, it's not the case that the only reason that a veteran might do a listening session would be to help the veteran. Um, I would like veterans to help the rest of us by helping to reduce our illiteracy about the military and and about war. And and on that um, note, we're going to be right back. We have more with Paula J. Kaplan. When we come back, we're going to learn more about the Is Anybody Listening movie and all of her work as she is diving into this very important subject matter with us right now. So you're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio. If you wanted to listen to this again, you can go to makinglifebrighter.com. On the radio tab, there's a player, and all the archives are there. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The isolation is tough. Just lend an ear. Anyone can do it. Do more than just say thank you for your service. Listen. 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 Listen to a veteran. A public service from the Welcome Johnny and Jane Home Project, pairing a veteran from any era with a non-veteran who will simply listen with respect and with their whole heart. Listen to a veteran, please. Listen to veterans.org. Do you really want to help a veteran come home? The isolation is tough. Just lend an ear. Anyone can do it. Do more than just say thank you for your service. Listen to a veteran. Do it for yourself. Do it for a veteran. Do it for America. A public service from the Welcome Johnny and Jane Home Project, pairing a veteran from any era with a non-veteran who will simply listen with respect and with their whole heart. Listen to veterans.org. Do you really want to help a veteran come home? The isolation is tough. Just lend an ear. Anyone can do it. Do more than just say thank you for your service. Listen to a veteran. Do it for yourself. Do it for a veteran. Do it for America. A public service from the Welcome Johnny and Jane Home Project, pairing a veteran from any era with a non-veteran who will simply listen with respect and with their whole heart. Listen to veterans.org. Welcome back to Making Life Brighter with Winifred Adams on the Health and Wellness Channel. For more information, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. If you have questions, comments, or would like to make an appointment with medical intuitive Winifred Adams, please email us at radio at makinglifebrighter.com. That's radio at makinglifebrighter.com. Making Life Brighter, the preferred choice for conscious education and entertainment. Now, back to the show with your host, Miss Winifred Adams. And we're back. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio. I'm your host, Winifred Adams. And next week coming up on the Making Life Brighter Radio show, we have Randall Schoenberg, who is the lawyer for the movie Woman in Gold. And he is the man the whole movie is based on. And that will be a very special show coming up. And the week after that, the first week in August, will be finally, da-da, my live interview with John of God. So you won't want to miss these two shows. They are amazing coming up. And right now, we're going to go back to Paula J. Kaplan, whom we have here today as a special guest, and she is showcasing her very important life work as well as her current work with the movie Is Anybody Listening movie 
and you can see it as anybodylisteningmovie.org, so you can go look that up. Now, Paula had a really good point, and she was going to come back around to, so I really want to jump back into that. Paula? Which one was that? You were talking about the second sentence we didn't get Oh, to. yes, the second sentence. Okay, so so when you do um, a listening session, um, the the listener maybe only says that introductory sentence and then doesn't speak the rest of the time, but just listens. But... They, there's a second sentence that's it's on the website in the description. It's called the Listening Session Guide, um, and it's the only other thing you, you need to know. Um, and you say this sentence if the veteran at some point has talked about something uh, that was a, a terrible experience for them and how it affects them now. And then you say, and again, this is a sentence that was put together based on lots of experiences, talking, uh, listening to, to what vets have to say about what's helpful to them. So the second sentence goes like this. You say to the veteran, if I had experienced what you just described, I'm sure that like you, I would be having nightmares or flashbacks or whatever it is. And I hope you know that's a deeply human reaction. It's not a mental illness. You're not crazy. Now, why do we say this? Because many veterans have been told they're mentally ill or upset you. Oh, that's PTSD. That's in the psychiatric manual. That's a mental illness. And Winifred, I, I just feel aghast when I hear that because I think somebody was at war. Mm-hmm. They found it devastating. Yeah. What does it mean to call that kind of reaction a mental illness? What What do we think would be a healthy reaction to war? Um, the same thing if you were sexually assaulted in the military, or if you were had some other terrible experience. Um, and so, so the first reason that we that we say that sentence is because so many of them have been told, "Oh, that's a mental illness." And many of them have been told, and you'll never get over it. Now, being told that is very different from saying to somebody, what you went through was shattering. And Mm -hmm. no, you'll never be the same as you were before. But that's very different from now you are somehow weirder, uh, crazier, than the rest of us, and you'll never be any different. But, so, but thanks for uh, saving our country, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. I mean, what an insult, honestly, in a way, yeah. to categorize yeah. them that way, because here they've put their lives on the line, witnessed horrific things that we can't even dream of, yeah. and their psyche is trying to manage that through incoherency, yeah. and now what? So yeah. I think that's a brilliant point. I mean, and, right? You're you're adding to their burden. There they are struggling with their 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 memories and their experiences. And should I have done this? And you know, I thought I thought that child or that woman had dynamite and was going to kill us. So I shot and but you know, or I didn't shoot and they did kill my buddies. I mean, what horrible things to go through. And when people say to me. Um, well, so we just shouldn't have war. I say, right, we shouldn't have war. Now, in the meantime, given that we have war, given that our governments and our congresses keep sending people to war who come back and live in our communities, then the least we can do is listen to them instead of just judging them and dehumanizing them. I mean, I've never, I've never in all these years 
listen to a veteran who was was essentially saying, "Oh, I wanted to go to war because I wanted to kill people." Um, the, can I can I tell one um, quick story? This is in the film, actually, um, because like like a lot of other listeners. I had been worried about what am I going to do? I'm, I'm, I'm a good listener now, but what, but what am I going to do if some veteran is speaking and their politics are totally different from mine and their beliefs about the war that they were in is, are totally different from mine? Am I going to be able to keep my mouth shut? So here's what happened. I was listening to a veteran who had gone to Iraq. He signed up. He enlisted because it was after 9-11, and he wanted to make this country safe, as he saw it. Now, we could argue about, well, do you really think that, you know, should you have known that that wasn't going to make our country? We could, we could say that. But we don't do that in these sessions. We just listen. So here's what I heard. He went to Iraq. He was attacked by an insurgent. Every organ system in his body was damaged. When I saw him, the VA had him on 12 different drugs, some psychiatric, some for pain, for physical pain. And he said to me, I went there to liberate Iraq and to protect my country. And I did both. He was a very sweet, very modest guy. He wasn't showing off. He had a sense of an important responsibility. And he felt he had done both. Right? And he said, I would go back again in a minute if they would let me. Now, if this were a political discussion, I would have spoken, but I didn't, and I'm really glad I didn't, because then there was this long silence, as there, as there often is in these sessions, and I just waited, letting him know I was there. And here's what he said. He said, but every night when I'm trying to go to sleep, I hear a woman scream. Mm. And there were long silences after each of the sentences I'm going to tell you that he spoke. And I just waited in between every pair of sentences. So here's what he said. He said, you see, there was this woman across the street from where we were, and we thought she had dynamite and was going to kill us. And so I killed her. And we found out she did have dynamite, and she would have killed us. But every night when I'm trying to go to sleep, it's her scream I hear. Because I wasn't raised to kill. So there you have someone who still believes that he was right, that our military was right to, you know, was right to send our military there and that they succeeded in their mission. And he is tormented by what it means to kill somebody, even though she would have killed them. And, you know, whatever your politics, we cannot have people living in this country, in our communities, keeping that kind of torment inside them. Agreed. It's just inhuman. We have to listen to them. We have an obligation to honor those that honor us, no matter what our politics are, because the sacrifice is massive. And many of us lost in our world of cell phones and entertainment simply have no idea how how that is. And in some ways, you know, when I've talked to some of these people, including lieutenant colonels and people like that who've been on six tours or something, mm-hmm. you know, they say to me very humbly, uh, 
you're not supposed to know. That's my job, to mm-hmm. keep it so that you don't know and you don't have to feel and see what I have. Yes, but you know, Winifred, and I know that they, they feel that that's, that should be how they act and that they need to protect us. So right. we don't force any veteran to talk to us. So that's why no, and I agree with what you're saying. You but what I'm talk. saying is they think, but, yeah. they think that that's their duty. Yeah. And and yet because they're so vested in that duty, which is heartbreaking when they come back because they're hurting. Yes. They're human, and they've seen more than we could ever imagine. That's we, right. And and you know, even the ones who are the most um, supportive of of the whatever war they were in and who still feel the mission was right um they it still is excruciating for them to have killed somebody or to have seen um somebody close to them blown up or to realize that they have shot into a house and because they were told the enemy was in there and they've killed a child or an old person or a woman and and so i think that um, you know, again, whatever your politics, um, I think that given that this country keeps sending people over to fight in wars, that it's healthier for the country, whatever our politics, for every one of us to know in as much detail about what it's like to go to war and what it's like to be in the military and then try to come home and make that major set of transitions. Um, if we're not making informed decisions about whom we vote for and what we're going to encourage them to vote for or vote against, when it comes to these literal matters of life and death that war is, then we're not being good citizens. You know, Paula, I think that you should not only screen this movie at the White House, but <sighs> It should be screened at the White House, and I think it should be screened with veterans attending at the White House. And I'm putting that out there loudly. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> From and I your think mouth that to the White House is here. Um, we, it would we be, actually, we may be having a screening on Capitol Hill in August. We're good just for waiting you. to see if that's Good for you. Different. Yeah, and I, I also would wonder, just as food for thought, mm-hmm. what it would be like to have some of these veterans speaking to some of our gang members who are... Yeah. In their own yeah. homeland yeah. war, if you will, and with themselves, and what that listening both sides and speaking both sides uh, dialogue would come out as, and that might be an interesting secondary project. Yeah, I think but, so. You know, um, okay, I, we just have a few minutes left, and this is such a, a poignant show because this speaks to so many things, and I am in no way um, taking the focus off of veterans, but. So many people are traumatized, and what Paula is sharing with us is a tool that we can use for learning a skill that we desperately need for all of us yeah. and to okay. use and, and then to respect the veterans. And what she's focusing on are veterans as well as her work. She has written work about it. She has a book about this type of thing. And now this movie, which is something hopefully we'll get to all see very soon, and the screenings are listed on the website, is anybody listening org? So you can see where a screening is happening and you can set up a screening for Paula to show the movie in your area. And I highly encourage that. 
Yeah, it's really simple to do that. I, I make it really easy. <laughs> so if if somebody's interested in doing a screening but they're they're not sure what the, what steps they need to take, they can write to me through the the film website. Can and we the, mention the public service announcements real quick? Yes, absolutely. People have been hearing those uh, in the breaks in the show and. Uh, the trailer for this is awesome as well. So, yes, please tell us more about the public service amount announcements they're hearing. Okay. Well, you know, you know, the, there were some public service announcements a few years ago that said, thank a vet for their service. And all of a sudden, every non-veteran in the country was rushing up to veterans who, had, you know, they could see the, they, from the hats or the T-shirts or whatever that they were veterans. They'd run up to them in airports and in restaurants, and they'd say, thank you for your service. Right? And some veterans have said to me, I love it because it makes me feel appreciated. And other veterans have said to me, I hate it. It's like hit and run. They feel so smug. They walk up, they say, thank you for your service, and they feel they've done their bit, and they walk away. They don't know me. They don't care about me. They don't want to know. And other veterans have said to me, if they knew what I had done, they wouldn't thank me. So I was thinking... Um, we need public service announcements because all these people who say to me, I'd like to help vets, but they're all mentally ill and I'm not a therapist. All right, we need to implant in the heart and mind of every non-veteran in this country, and in fact in any country where there's a military, it's, it, the same principles apply. Um, the, the idea that there is something that every one of us can do, and that's just to listen. And it's remarkable what can happen. One veteran told me, a Vietnam veteran told me, that up until the time that he had his listening session, he was seriously planning to kill himself. And ever since the one listening session, he's never been suicidal again. I mean, I, I can't And there it. you have it, everybody. This is Paula Joan Kaplan, and you can look her up on paulajkaplan.net, and you can check out the movie again at isanybodylistening.org. Uh, is anybody and, uh, Paula, this has been really special. Thank you so much. I ask everybody in two seconds, what makes your life brighter? My, my, what makes my life brighter? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Having somebody really care like you do. I was just thinking, um, you, this is a wonderful show, and I love your heart, and I love the kinds of questions you ask. And this, this is what makes it all worthwhile, is when people really care. Oh, that's so wonderful. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for sharing your gifts. Please, everybody, go look up net and look at her incredible body of work and this new project. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio. You can find all the archives on the website. Next week, we have Randy Schoenberg from the movie Woman in Gold. And after that, I have John of God Live. Thank you for listening. Go jolly, everybody. Thank you for listening to Making Life Brighter on the Health and Wellness Channel. Be sure to join us each week at 10 a.m. for information, inspiration, and education with leading experts in healing and consciousness. For more information and a complete show schedule, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. Making Life Brighter, successfully helping you feel better from the inside out. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.